What is going on? Welcome to Land Podcast. This week we have a returning guest, Aaron Shu of Acres, and we're talking about a recent report that they released called the Heartland Report. And it is a comprehensive analysis of land values from quarter one, 2020 to quarter two, 2023. And they used over 37,000 real land transactions across the Midwest to aggregate this data and share what they learned. And if you're a land buyer, a land investor, a broker, this is going to be valuable. It's going to give you a really good idea on what's happened in the last three years. And I really enjoyed it. So you can head over to the link in the description, get a copy of this report while you're listening. I think that would make it a little more digestible to understand what we're talking about. And uh, there's some really good information in the report. So I encourage you guys to do that. And if you didn't catch the last episode with Aaron, it was posted in February 27th titled, Use This Tool If You're Serious About Buying Land. And we talk about what Acres, their mapping software has to offer. And also, if you're, once again, a land buyer, a land agent, or anything else in between, it's a great software I use all of the time to get a better idea on what's going on with a particular parcel, to run comps, to see what land is for sale in an area. So go check that out. Also linked in the description. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you guys do too. And just in case you're brand new here, I'll give you a quick synopsis of what the goal here is on the Land Podcast. It's to help 100 people buy their first farm. There's three ways to be on that list. Number one, if you're in the state of Illinois and you need a buyer's agent, I'm happy to assist you if you're looking in a part of the state that I'm familiar with. Number two, if you want to get connected with an agent that I would encourage a conversation with, it's obviously your decision. I'd be happy to make an introduction. There's some excellent agents across this country, and I don't have full coverage of everywhere and every agent, but happy to help any way I can. Number three, if you simply learn something here from the podcast that gives you the confidence to move forward in purchasing a parcel, I want to hear it. And like I said before, we're inching closer and closer to that 100 mark. So thank you to everyone. Let's get right into this episode. Here we go. Eric, welcome back to the Land Podcast. How's it going? Yeah, doing great, Jake. Great to see you again. And thanks again for having us on the show. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for what we're going to talk about here today. I read through it here a couple times, actually, and, and what we're talking about is the Heartland Report of which uh, Acres released, and, and you kind of tackle that head on. So before we get into all of that, though, just briefly reintroduce yourself for anyone that didn't catch the last episode that where we talked about your mapping software. Yeah, sure thing. Um, yeah, as always, it's a, it's great to be on the land podcast. Always enjoy listening in and, and uh, learn something every time. So hopefully this will be another great contribution uh, to what you produce. Uh, so yeah, I'm Aaron Shu. I am the director of data science at Acres. Uh, that's acres.com if you want to check us out online. And my background, so I was a professor. I was an agricultural economist uh, as a professor here at University of Arkansas and have a background in both uh, GIS or geographical information systems and ag econ. Uh, so I jumped over here to Acres about uh, two years ago and started building out a data science team and uh, fell in love with it, left the university and, and joined full time. And uh, so we provide all the data. Basically, my, what my team does is we pull lots of data, private sources, government sources, uh, and we we pipe that into the back end of our Acres app uh, to allow users to have a really easy interface. Mm -hmm. So whether you're after soils data or elevation data or, or assessor information on landowners, uh, my team's the one that sort of funnels all of that data into our system. 
to you know help produce that easy interface for our users. Yeah, easy for us to use, but I have to imagine that's not easy to manage because that is a yeah. so much information when you look across the entire country with courthouse sales data and everything else. It's that's that's got to be a lot. It it is a lot. It's a lot of data. Um, the individual data sets are large. But beyond that, it's they're all very, very different in how they come to us. And so, yes, it has been a, a, a honestly a really fun job because I get to learn constantly. There's always something new, new problems to solve, which I really like. Uh, and I love ag. And so all the pieces of data that we're touching are related in some way to understanding land, uh, farmland specifically. And so it's been really fun to just kind of be part of building this national picture of farmland and mm -hmm. building an interface where everybody has that uh, ability to go in and evaluate their farm or, or a farm that they're interested in. Um, or for a broker that's, that's working with, uh, you know, a client on a, a sale or something like that. So, um, yeah, certainly uh, plenty of challenges, but also a lot of fun uh, as we overcome those challenges and build a, a, what, what I believe is a really remarkable and complete software uh, for land analytics. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think as a user, I don't take that for granted because I have to imagine the amount of work and data you guys have to work with for me to, oh, what state do I want to look in today and <laughs> poke around yeah. and see right. what sales are going on and, and run comps and, and just learn different parts of the country. And uh, that's that's what you can do with Acres. But as far as the Heartland Report, what sure. what what provoked this or what, what birthed this idea? Because it's comprehensive, but also digestible. Yes. So the Heartland Report, you know, we've been we've spent years now building all of this data and a core part of our product, as you well know, is is our sales data. So um, you'll see some value, you know, sort of land values reports out there, but often they're based on survey data. Right. Um, and it's not that those aren't useful. The goal here is certainly not to, to downplay any information. We're, we're big believers in more data is better and, and more reports are probably better. It gives us a, a more holistic picture of uh, the farmland uh, values landscape. But for us, we have this massive database of both courthouse sales and curated and contributed sales uh, in our database. And so uh, what was particularly interesting to us was, you know, just asking this question, what can we provide with this data and the power behind our database that really just doesn't exist and hasn't existed previously? Um, and so that question, you know, spurred me to dig in and my team to dig in, uh, started looking at sales and how we might build a report. Um, what would be different about it? Because we don't just want to build a replication of what other people have done. So one... Uh, we're different because we're using real sales, both from assessors and reported uh, by brokers and participants in sales, which gives us a bit more of an edge um, in the market. Uh, just have a lot more sales uh, there to, to pull from. So it's a quantity and a quality thing, though. So we have a lot of sales. There's actually millions of sales in acres, uh, but we focus in on that heartland or, or Corn Belt region. So there's eight states we included in the report. Uh, most reports don't cover the full Corn Belt, right? They're kind of, you'll find some really, the, the strongest reports I've seen are in Iowa, which, mm -hmm. which makes sense. There's a lot of really good sale data in Iowa. You'll find some in Illinois, and you'll find a few that kind of paint with a broad brush using survey data. But nobody has produced a really comprehensive cross-state comparison of farmland values over time uh, like this, where you have 
a lot of transaction data, but we also pair that with soils data, right? So we get this inherent productivity using productivity indices to understand uh, not just the farmland value trends over time, but how that breaks down across productivity classes. Uh, so from my perspective, it's just a really novel and unique uh, report because it includes those additional uh, aspects of not just quantity of sales data, but also that data quality piece. Yeah, that's that's huge. And it is interesting because I would agree that Iowa has excellent data that you can find online. Illinois does a pretty good job. There's an Illinois report that goes out every year that is is great. And they segment the state similar to what you guys kind of did in some different areas, because mm-hmm. as you can imagine, uh, it's not all great soil throughout an entire right. state. There's pockets and sure. uh, you guys address that. But um, as far as when you were hedging this, what was what was the date range for this? So we started about the time. So, so our sales data actually goes back to 2016. Uh, from us, that's when we started collecting from assessors' offices. Uh, but we wanted to start the report where we had the curated sales database, which was in 2020. So we started the the analysis in Q1 of 2020, and we move all the way through Q2 of of this year. So about two and a half years of data included uh, in the study. Okay, and. I guess diving right into this before we do that, where can people find this? So in case they want to pull this up while they're listening along, they can also check it out. But where where can they find this? And then we'll dive into some more some more things with the with the report. Sure. Yeah, they can go straight to landvalues.acres.com, and it is uh, listed right there at the top. You click on the link to the land values report. It'll come up. And if you want the, so that's sort of, that's where we put a lot of our content. So in terms of like, anytime we're introducing a new data set or describing the data in acres, we'll generally write a blog and put it on there to help our users understand where it comes from and how it's useful. Uh, so the first half of the report, which kind of covers the, the broad strokes, right, across all states, that's available there in blog format. And you can you know, fill out the form if you want the full PDF report, and that's going to have your state-by-state breakdown with trends by productivity index and so forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I encourage anyone to go, to go check that out. But before, I guess let's dive into it. So sure. what, were, what were some interesting key insights that, I guess, were there anything, was there anything that challenged your preconceived uh, assumptions of land transactions during the time period of this report? So going into this, did you have any assumptions that either were confirmed or you know, debunked as you work through this? That's a great question. You know, there's probably two things that come straight to the top of my mind there. One is just how seasonal ag land sales are. I mean, you can just, it's every year, there's just really strong cycle uh, where Q2 and Q3 generally is a little bit of a wave or, you know, sometimes not exactly Q2, Q3, but Q2 and Q3 tend to be way lower sales. Just the number of sales go way down. Uh, And then of course, Q1, Q4, you get this surge of sales. Um, so yeah, we all know that I think by gut, like we know that farmers are not generally trying to sell their farm while they're producing on it. Uh, but as a data scientist and somebody that looks at ag data all the time, it was just like, wow, like it's really very <laughs> strong signal here. Uh-huh. Um, so a pretty drastic, you know, um, drop in, in sales in that, in that summer production season. Uh, the second thing, so the seasonality, but 
along what I'll say, the caveat there that I think is interesting is despite that sort of annual regional dip you see in the number of sales, maybe price per acre uh, within that time frame, because you can imagine when you have less sales in the production season, it's probably because the sales that do occur in that season are kind of forced, right? They're probably you know, selling at a lower price per acre specifically because they just have to get it out. Um, and so you can pick that up in the data. That was pretty interesting find. So, uh, so it looked like sales were a little bit softer during Q2 and Q3 across this three-year period. That's right. Okay. Exactly. A little bit. So there's less sales, but also the the price per acre of those sales dropped a bit. And that's year over year. That's not like, a, you know, it, it's, it's not like it dips dramatically. It's just something that we pick up every year. And it tends to still, what I love is that, that what we all know is that farmland uh, is increasing in value. You see that in this report. You can look at NCR EIF. Um, don't ask me to say exactly what that stands for again. Um, but the uh, NCR, NCR EIF produces a 30-year report on land value trends. And it's from like 1990 to 2019, I believe. And so they, you know, they, they've got a really strong uh, growth or appreciation curve. So what we find matches that pretty strongly. Like we know that, yes, there's this annual seasonality. You get more sales at a higher PPA in Q1 and Q, Q4 and Q1 uh, each cycle. But we still see everything kind of trending up. Um, but that leads to my second point, which is, the other assumption, the thing that everybody knows, and you've seen the crazy sales, uh, particularly out of Northwest Iowa and even some in Missouri uh, and Illinois, uh, over especially in 2022, um, the, just the sheer volume of sales in 2022 was uh, pr pretty incredible to pick up. So you get the seasonality over time uh, within years, but in 22, we just saw a huge volume uh, in the market, a lot of really high price sales, uh, and a high number of sales. I think something in our report is probably really conservative, but we picked up over $30 billion of land transactions. That's um, that's a, and it's really like, I, I filtered out a lot of data. So it's, it's truly, I limited it to what I knew was like tillable farmland and nothing mm -hmm. else. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's an awful lot of, uh, cash being spent on farmland in, in a year. And of course, we've seen this year kind of meter out um, and, and whatnot. But that was, you know, it's, it's always shocking when you see a huge spike in, in data like that. Do, do you have any guesses what caused that? I mean, and I know that's kind of out, outside the scope of the report, but, you know, obviously you're closely tied to, to a lot of this. So I don't know if you had any, any deductions of what may have caused that. Gosh, I, that's a really great question. I wish I knew. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I wish I'd known ahead of time, right? Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, I, I, I would, if I were to guess, uh, just kind of gut assumptions, you know, coming out of COVID, uh, people exploring markets again, there's been a, quite, a, quite a lot of attention paid on farmland uh, mm -hmm. in recent years. And so I think just like we see this year, I think the big boom is probably due to interest rates and, and very strong farm balance sheets. Um, and again, as, as an economist, uh, I'm fine to armchair a little bit, but I also want to be careful, like pinning the cause on one thing, but I, I would argue or guess, um, that farm balance sheets being really, really strong in 22 partially as a result of very low interest rates was a strong driver of that. Mm -hmm. And people know in general that farmland is a really great hedge against inflation. 
you know, there's good correlation there. So I think a lot of investment firms really started uh, purchasing more farmland uh, to hedge against inflation. And so, so there's a lot of a number of contributors. I'm sure I'm missing things. Uh, people can call me out on later, but uh, that's kind of my my take for now is, is interest rates. And that's, and that's also why I think we've seen it meter out this year. You know, you got right. You know, interest rates are rising again. Um, the cost of cash is going up. And so uh, and, and we've seen inflation kind of decrease a bit. So there's a little bit less attention being paid uh, to that that big surge. Yeah, I think that's fair. And one of the high high uh, bullet points of this too. So farmland, when this report started, Q1 2020 was $7,500 an acre. And then in 2023, Q2, it went up to $9,500 an acre across the, the Corn Belt or those eight states. Right. Which, do you know what the annualized return of that is? I should have ran it for you. (laughs) Yeah, you can run it for me. I should know off the top of my head, but it's, yeah, uh, over 10%. um, Yeah. And yeah, that's, and and again, I'm filtering out, uh, I'm sure what, so like the one key factor there, I think that's a really good point. So one, I think when you're talking about pure tillable farmland, I think that's probably about as accurate of an estimate as you can get um, based on real transaction data. Uh, one key factor, though, is that it's it's possible we filtered out some farmland, for example, that had like a farmhouse on it or something like that. So maybe smaller properties, smaller farms, maybe the price per acre was even lower, uh, but maybe it had a house on it. So there's, there's some complicating factors that would, my guess would meter some of those numbers just a little bit. Okay, got it. And when you got when you were looking at some of this data, let's say there was a a great tillable piece with a windmill on it. Did how did that factor into the cost per acre, or was that one thrown out? Uh, so I wouldn't know if okay. there was a windmill on it or not. Right, that's it's typically not going to be recorded uh, as at the assessor's office sure. or anything like that. So, so in general, we wouldn't have picked something like that up. Um, yeah, it's a good question though. So, so what I would say is with there are always caveats, right? There there are so many, and that's what makes a report like this really hard to write. It's why, for example, I focus on crop reporting districts across a few counties, right? So what I'm trying to get at is not, okay, did this farm in this place, you know, change value by X amount? I'm trying to get that general trend of appreciation. You know, what do we generally expect for, for good farmland or good tillable ground in a region. And then if I can understand that better with productivity indices, and that's what I'm going to look at too. Uh, but there are a lot of things that, that in this initial report, we didn't pick up that we hope you know to pick up in the future. A good example of that would be like irrigation uh, and water districts, right? So in, in Nebraska, for example, we include in the report, uh, but I'd love to do a deep dive even on a state by state level where we actually break that out by natural resource district. You know, how much does that drive farmland values from one to the next? Yeah. I feel, yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of avenues to go down this. A lot of nuance. Yeah. yeah. The Which goal is, here was like, what's the big picture? Cause until you get that, you, you can, know, yeah, it doesn't there, matter. there are a thousand rabbits to chase. I mean, it took me about a month just to kind of wrestle with the data and get it uh, where I felt like, okay, I've really nailed down the trends here. And I feel confident that we've handled that well for tillable acreage. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the one of my favorite, well, there's a lot of really great charts on this. And what I like about them is it shows all the different states that were a part of this report. And so there's the price per tillable acre trends in for the states. And then my favorite one is the price per productivity index trends from 2020 to 2023. And this explained that because I think if anyone could go look at any chart and just feel like they get somewhat of a grasp when they're looking at farms, just as a 
like a business gets a multiple or anything else like that's this sure. is kind of the multiple of tillable acres and that's right and so it's a ex- benchmark exactly explain what that is for people who maybe don't know and uh my favorite chart of the of the report <laughs> Yeah, sure thing. So, um, so the NRCS, the Natural Resource Conservation Service, you know, puts out their web soil survey. Most folks have been on there. If you farm at some point, you've probably been curious and tried to bang your way around in their website to find soils data for your farm. Um, so we've, we've pulled their data into acres and made it a lot easier to work with. One component of that soils data is called a productivity index. And there are actually different kinds of productivity indices. And that's a really important thing when you're considering this. Um, So there are four that are, uh, they're actually more than four state-based in the report. I use four state-based indices. And then I also use the National Commodity Crop Productivity Index. That's a mouthful to say. Um, We'll just kind of sideline that one for a second. So the idea behind a PI or a productivity index is that you get an inherent measure of the productivity of that soil, right? And so when I say inherent productivity, I'm saying, okay, all things constant management wise and all things constant climate wise, you know, there's no major crazy shocks. It's kind of an average climate year. It's an average management year. I should expect, you know, uh, in in Illinois, where you're at with Illinois PI, that's kind of an expectation of bushels per acre. That's kind of how it was built initially. It's not really antiquated that way now, (laughs) but um, initially that was what it was. It, what it really is a relative index. So you're not actually getting an estimate of the bushels per acre of corn anymore, but what you're getting is, Hey, if I've got an Illinois PI of, of 21 on this farm and the farm next door is 135 and they're the same price, I'm going to buy the one with 135, right? It's just relatively better productivity. So, uh, in Illinois, you've got the Illinois PI in Iowa, you have the corn suitability rating two. And that one's actually a true index, uh, which is zero to 100. Um, And then in Minnesota, we have the crop productivity index or CPI. Uh, And then in Indiana, we have WAPI or weighted average productivity index. Um, The other states, uh, a couple of them have other CPI type ratings, but in general, the NCCPI, the national index is used if one's used at all. And that's why I didn't produce it for all the states, because honestly, like Minnesota, Iowa, Illinois, and Indiana, you're going to get much more consistent ratings of soils uh, with those indices than you will with NCCPI. But um, so that's what it is. It's a metric of productivity per tillable acre. And so you can actually take the price per acre, break that down to price per tillable acre, and then get the PI and get a price you're paying per unit of productivity. Mm -hmm. So it's gonna look something like hundreds of dollars per PI. And it gives you that direct metric that you're interested in if you're purchasing uh, a farm. Mm -hmm. So that's how it's calculated. Sorry, it's a bit of a mouthful to explain, but hopefully that made some sense. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, no, I I think that's uh, a really important thing for people to understand if they don't already. And when you were running that, what did you, is there any key findings you, you noticed after you put that together? Yeah. So we, we have a, a farm team here and what, what we do, and I think, uh, you know, you're familiar in, in, uh, Illinois, like what most brokers will do with farmland is they'll classify using that index. So like, and I can't remember the thresholds off the top of my head, but you can read them in the report. Like for Illinois PI above a certain level is class A, 
Um, and then the next level down, it's like 130 to 140 is class B and, you know, one and so forth. So we end up with class A, B, C, D soils uh, in the report I report on class A, B, C. Uh, and so what that shows us was really, really interesting, uh, in my opinion. So what we see is that class A ground. So it also gives us a way to compare price per PI across states. So we've got class A in Illinois and Indiana and Iowa and Minnesota. And so now you can kind of compare these, not directly, but it gives you a sense of where the trends are. And what we see in general is that class A ground was the fastest to increase in value, saw the greatest surge, but class A ground was also the first to sort of soften this year as interest rates came up. And so as we, we just don't see quite as many sales this year, we're still seeing some record sales like in price per acre. I mean, there's still some very strong farmland markets out there, so don't get me wrong, but, but across the board, the trend is that it, it is a softer market here in 2023. And class A ground has taken kind of the largest dip relative to the other classes. Class B, we do see a little bit of plateauing, but the, the price per acre and price per tillable acre for PI, uh, for class B uh, productivity index, uh, has been a much, much stronger, uh, in fact, than class A ground. And I, I think that's a very unique finding. I'm not sure that any of us would have predicted uh, that to happen, uh, but I think that's a really unique finding that that's really visible in those charts that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you have any guess why that is? Because you, you would almost think that class A would be the gold standard and it kind of sounds, you know, it's first to go up, first to go down, but you would think that that class B would follow that closely just speaking out loud. It's, yeah. And, and I mean, if you were to, you know, actually look at the correlation, it's still going to be really strong, right? The trends are all going up until this year and we see a little bit of a dip. Um, and, so, but, but yeah, I mean, it's a good question. My guess though, is I think there's, I mean, if you look at Northwest Iowa, that's where we've seen like the, the wildest sales hitting, you know, 30,000 an acre in some cases, over 25K an acre, uh, more than a few times, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I think probably those are the places where, um, I, I don't know, maybe there's just more institutions jumping in and, and buying there, or maybe there's more, uh, there are farmers nearby. As, as, it's a good question. I'm not entirely sure how to answer it. Mm -hmm. I'm asking you the hard questions here. I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> I'm asking stuff <laughs> outside the report. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's, I, I think there's probably a bit of like, maybe it's a bit of a behavioral thing. Like, oh, I bought a, I bought a class A, you know, PI in, in Illinois and, um, or I'm in Northwest Iowa and I've got class A ground. I've got, uh, I've got a CSR two of, of 96, mm -hmm. um, a bit kind of a bragging, right? Sure. Uh, course yeah i mean i certainly think it creates interesting opportunities for folks getting into farming uh, or farmland investing or farmland brokering because what that basically tells me is hey maybe class b is the way to go like if the the unit economics may make a lot more sense uh, to get started at that class b level prove out a good farm and uh you know maybe class a those high level are for people that have already figured it all out maybe they've farm 30,000 acres and this is yeah. right next door. So it means a lot for them to farm that property. Yeah. I have to imagine that happens a lot, especially in those regions you're talking about, because in I reality, so. a lot of those farms go up for sale one time and usually their balance sheet is really strong and they can. Exactly. That's right. 
yeah. But nonetheless, uh, that I found that chart really fascinating. I think it's such a great starting point for someone just to get a ballpark of, hey, is this even priced remotely to where right. top, top show they should be? Yeah, and I, and I think that's that's the goal really is to like give everyone a fair picture of what the benchmarks look like, right? Okay, where are we at right now? Uh, I'm looking at a few farms, looking at price per acre. I'm looking at my PI on this farm, um, calculating price per PI based on comparable sales in the region. You know, am I landing at a price per PI that makes sense or a price per tillable that makes sense? Uh, and I'm not drastically above that benchmark um, without some additional factors, right? There are things that are not in our data set. Uh, things like tiling and drainage or irrigation, those things are going to be averaged out in this study. It's not that they're not captured, like the, those sales are captured, mm -hmm. but the those improvements are not captured. So you may find a really well tiled, really well irrigated, beautiful piece of land that's well above that benchmark that makes sense Absolutely. because of those improvements. Yeah. Uh, so it is very important, again, to yeah, what this is not meant to do is, is to replace that local knowledge and to replace the broker and the appraiser that are on the ground. We're here to kind of empower them in their decision making. Where should this benchmark and where should it land based on that that expert analysis on the ground? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point to, to, to really break out that there's a lot of nuances to each particular pieces of, piece of ground. But if you're new to this or you're just trying to learn yeah. and just get an idea, right. I mean, this is That's definitely right. the place to start. So um, let's talk a little bit about Illinois. I know you guys broke out different states. And so from what I'm reading here, when you started this study, the class A started at $10,000 an acre in Q1 2020, Q2 2023, it reached $14,000 per acre. So another strong uh, run of, uh, of price. And mm -hmm. What I really like too is the, which we just kind of talked about, like class A, class B, and class C, and it shows the price per tillable acre per region too. And then the number on there, that's the number of sales for those. That's right. In that reporting district. Yeah. So, cause that's a really important thing. Like, it, you know, some of those are going to have less sales, right? And so you can imagine if there are less sales, maybe it's got a big leap in, in price per tillable or something. Uh, but you kind of take that with a grain of salt if you've got six sales in that region because you're just going to get more variability. Um, but if you have a whole lot of sales, because many of those crop reporting districts, we've got, you know, uh, well into the double digits, 50, 60, in some case, maybe even 100. And so uh, it gives you a pretty strong inkling that, OK, this is probably a pretty good average uh, mm -hmm. for that for that CRD. Was there any other key findings that you found with Illinois or in relation to maybe what other states were doing? You know, Illinois, I think in general, it's always been a strong Corn Belt farming state, right? Um, that That's not surprising. But I think Illinois has not had the attention that Iowa's had, right? I mean, I feel like Iowa's in the news once a month for their farmland sales. Had, I wonder if it's it, just because of search volume. Those, those yeah, I guess so. CNN or whatever. Like, <laughs> they have to look at that like, ooh, you know. But sure. anyway, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so I, I think, because to me, like, what is what is surprising, maybe not surprising, uh, like we, we've kind of watched this at Acres uh, over the past few years as, as we've built things out. We've noticed these strong trends in Illinois. Um, but to put it on paper like this and you actually see, oh, wow, like it's very, very competitive in terms of pricing with Iowa. It's very good farm ground. Um, and so to see that show up in the data was was a, kind of a, a good confirmation of what we felt like we we're seeing um, in Acres. Yeah. So yeah, I definitely encourage anyone to go look at 
at this report and, and look at each of these states and maybe you live in Illinois or maybe you live in Indiana or wherever and you're, you're curious what your neighbors are doing or how farmland's doing over there. You can yeah. get a quick idea. Now with, with Indiana, just kind of going from state to state in this, was there any, was what, what's your opinion of Indiana with the data that you guys retrieved here? So maybe be a slightly controversial. <laughs> um, I mean, Indiana is a very strong production state as well. The only thing controversial uh, in, in Indiana, in my opinion, is like the the weighted average productivity index. I think brokers in Indiana are also split on that. So like we classify uh, we classify WAPI class ABC, um, but I just I don't know if I trust the WAPI index quite as much as I would something that's been developed like CSR two or the Illinois PI. Uh, so you're going to see a little more variability in states like Indiana. Um, and there just is more vi- variability, I think, in Indiana. You've got a few more uh, uh, metropolitan areas to deal with that certainly influence values. Um, and Ohio, for that matter, is, is probably very much the case. Uh, you'll see some areas where, yes, it's we're only analyzing farmland, but if a farm is you know, 10 miles from the nearest city versus 50, that makes a big difference in the value of that farmland. And it's not inherently tied to productivity. And so that's where, you know, some of the other states that are included in the study, we present it all because our goal is just to present transparent pricing of farmland information. Um, But you'll see in places uh, like Ohio and Indiana, I think Northeast Indiana has a couple that are, that are, were pretty high sales. They were farmland sales, but, Mm -hmm. um, really drags up the, the the pricing a bit and you can see it pretty starkly on the map um, of the crop reporting districts uh, similar in places like wisconsin uh, wisconsin is not as variable due to metropolitan areas but you know southern wisconsin is really good farmland and so is northern wisconsin but for different farming right you're moving into dairy land and you're moving into pasture and, and some timber even. And so, of course, that's not going to price in the same way as as corn soy, corn soy farmland. Sure. Yep, absolutely. And uh, it seemed, just looking at this really quickly, it seems like Indiana had a, less transactions or quite a bit less transactions in comparison to Illinois, obviously, as I'm just going from that's one right. page to the other. Um and then going to the, the golden child of the Corn Belt here, Iowa. Um, what did you, you know, we kind of touched on this, but was there anything that really jumped out to you in terms of Iowa? Obviously, you can clearly see that Northwest Iowa was very active during this period. What else did you see? Very active. Uh, I Honestly, I think probably the values in Northeast and, and uh, Southern Iowa might have been, I think probably because all we hear about is Northwest Iowa, you just kind of assume the whole state is at the same level, but it's really clear. Like there's a... a, a like a perfect gradient across Iowa where you see it, you know, the price breaker again, it's not that it's not strong and it's not that it's not good farmland by any means, but you do see, uh, you know, price per tillable acre, uh, substantially lower in that Northeast Iowa section and, and Southern Iowa section. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's, I just love these charts too. Cause I just love where you can see the volume of transactions and it's, it's interesting as a land broker, there's parts of the state where typically, there could be farms that hardly ever go for sale publicly in a region, but there's still transactions mm-hmm. going on. But a lot of times they're just arm's length deals. And mm-hmm. uh, and this still gives you an idea of some of that information. Because if you're just, as a consumer, you're going out there and trying to pull data on Zillow Sorry. Realtor or wherever else, <laughs> I mean, it's going to be really challenging. But <clears throat> this report's going to give you a 
And that's yeah, the starting point. The, the filtering, I think, um, how we came to, to use the sales that we did was really important. You know, we put a minimum of 2000 per acre. Uh, I think we did a minimum of 3000 per tillable acre. Uh, again, for, for those, uh, you know, arm's length sales, you get a within family kind of situation and it, it can really skew the results, uh, if, if you're not careful. And so we, we tried to filter those out. And likewise, um, there are places that have improvements that are probably good farmland. Uh, but, if you're selling, you know, a uh, couple of sections along with a house, the price per acre might be, you know, uh, greatly skewed in, in the upward direction. So we put cutoffs at at thirty thousand an acre uh, to make sure that we really focus on tillable farmland. Looking at Minnesota, it seems that the Class A has had seen a pretty steep decline in comparison to some of the other states. That is a, another one that I was surprised by, um, the Class A declining. And some of that may be that there's just not quite as many sales of Class A this year uh, to date. Maybe we'll see more as the year goes on. Uh, but yeah, it's it's probably the starkest decline in Class A ground in Minnesota. Um, and Class B ground, though, still pretty strong. Uh, you know, And I think something that's also important to note uh, Minnesota is a bit of a weird one relative to the other states, primarily because the geography is different. So if you go to northern Minnesota, you might have a really high CPI, right? Especially northwest Iowa. There's some good farm ground up there, but your growing degree days are, are a lot shorter, right? So your CPI can be really good, but your growing degree days are, are short. So you're going to have to, so there's just a bit more risk in production. Therefore, the price per acre is going to be lower naturally. And so I've wondered if, I, I don't know, it's hard to say without digging deeper, like I said, like you could go down a lot of rabbit holes here, but oh, yeah. that would be a really fun one to, to chase because Minnesota has Northwest, you've got growing degree issues, um, maybe not issues, but just risk, right? Good mm -hmm. farm ground could be class A, uh, but you're going to take a, a reduction in price per acre specifically because your, your growing season is a little bit risky. Uh, you go to somewhere like the Red River Valley, it's very strong. Um, you know, good pricing. I, I would say good pricing relative to southern Minnesota and, and some places that are effectively the same as Class A ground in Iowa. Um, and so it's hard to tell in a place like Minnesota. We give that over the state picture in the trends and we try to break it out in those crop reporting districts. To, and you can see it very clearly uh, in the map of Minnesota, like high values in those southern CRDs a little bit lower in the middle, and then it drops off pretty heavily towards the Northwest. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think in general, uh, if you were to narrow that down, you look at those class A trends somewhere like central Minnesota or Red River Valley, you're probably still going to see pretty strong trends relative to some other regions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and jumping to Missouri, there's a, there's the lone Desperado, one sale that hit $15,000 an acre, uh, class yeah. tillable in Missouri. And obviously it's, it's Northern Missouri and right across the boundary is Iowa. But what, what, what do you guys find with Missouri? It looks like quite a so, bit less volume. In, in that's true. There, there's so one, there's less volume of sales in, in Missouri. So something that's important to note in Missouri is that, um, there are almost no reports of Missouri land value trends and, the reason for that is Missouri is a non-disclosure state. So your assessor data is effectively voluntary. 
so there's just very little assessor data. So most of the data that we use in our report, there is some assessor data in there, whatever is available. We're not going to cut it out because uh, it can still be valuable. But most of that is going to be from our curated sales database or brokers and appraisers have added their sales data. So uh, there are less sales because of that, but it's still probably the most accurate representation of sure. of land values in Missouri that's that's available just because the data just doesn't exist anywhere else. Um, and so there's more variability because there are fewer sales, but also like Minnesota, Missouri has really variable uh, farmland and you don't have a crop productivity index uh, that's specific to the state. So you only have NCCPI which uh, is not greatly valuable uh, in Missouri. Um, beyond that, you also have another wild card as you move into like Saline County and central Missouri, you get more seed ground, right? So seed producing ground is gonna sell differently than grain producing ground. And so you have these other factors that again, that's why I encourage folks to get into acres and check it out because you can go look at the sales and you can you can get a bit more information to see those regional cha changes and differences. Mm -hmm. uh, and our goal here was just to paint a picture of what is um, and not not really trying to forecast, not trying to be too predictive because we know that gets us all in trouble. <laughs> Start predicting land, you know, yeah, yeah. out <laughs> land values, but you should. No, um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but I, I think painting a transparent picture of what land values are and uh, and we're certainly, you know, I'm always open to, especially as a person writing the report, I'm open. I would love feedback. What, what do you guys want to see? Mm -hmm. What would be more valuable to show next time? Because we're going to do this again. I, I'd hope to do this quarterly uh, or so, something like that. And uh, if I have, you know, brokers like yourself uh, giving me feedback, what you'd like to see, I'd love to see what we can work into our analysis for for future reports. Yeah, I think that's excellent. I think for for where it's at, it's it, it, there's this limited information on what you can get as someone that wants to learn more about this. And mm. as this hitting the bulk of the marquee states, it's such, you know, I just hope people don't take it for granted because I think it really it really is an excellent piece of information. I guess kind of breezing through some of these other last states here real quick with Nebraska, that would be one of those states where there's irrigated and non-irrigated ground where it could be really challenging and could be a separate report to your point. That's right. Yeah. Nebraska is a, is a tough one. And again, we're, we, we use those CRDs and I almost uh, went down the rabbit hole to, to look at it across the, uh, the natural resource districts. Instead, I decided that our goal this time was really to paint that broad picture. What is land going for? Uh, and I think I'll save the buy NRD values uh, for, uh, for a different report, maybe a state level report. Um, also looking at irrigated ground, you know, irrigated versus non-irrigated is very important uh, in Nebraska. And so um, it, it would have been a bit too much to bite off to, you know, reports already fairly comprehensive across the eight states we're in. And so I didn't want to get too much uh, beyond the, the 20 pages of figures and trends and discussion <laughs> there. Uh, but I, I think there's a lot of room for us to, to expand there, uh, to, to talk more about water. Um, and just a, a, a bit of a, maybe not a sneak peek so much, but a primer that our, our next report's actually going to be in California. Uh, we're going to uh, probably put out a report uh, focused primarily on water and, and land values um, in, in California next. So um, I, I think once we get past that, we may start to revisit some of these states individually and break them out. 
in a way that that makes sense um where water's an issue that's not you know i mean a lot of the a lot of the corn belt is is non-irrigated it's dry land so you don't really have that issue in the same way that you do in nebraska mm -hmm. yeah Nebraska is an interesting state as you drive through it. I've drove through it once and <laughs> it's completely different as you get through throughout that state. Yes. So, uh, which I'm sure anyone listening to this, whether they've flown over states and you can just see how much land really does change from one part of the state to the other. So, mm -hmm. um, so going the number of pivots. Yeah. Just, oh, yeah. I mean, you, 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 you go from Iowa, Missouri. <laughs> yeah. And it, you just start to see pivots everywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and then just wrapping up here with Ohio and Wisconsin as these last states here, obviously you mentioned Ohio to your point, there's a lot of major metropolitan areas, which can impact the, the, the farmland values. And then really the Southeast part of Ohio is predominantly timber. And right. what did you, was there any high level things that you guys found with Ohio and Wisconsin kind of lumping the two together? I think the goal there was, was really exactly what you said. The goal is just to highlight, Hey, what do the trends look like in the primary or predominant ag regions? And I think we display that pretty well um, by state. You know, we're focused on that tillable price per tillable trend, um, and we have the the, the maps and growth. Um, from from my perspective, I think that's the highest value uh, pull from the report for both Wisconsin and Ohio. They're just, you know, they're not. Uh, they're going to be much, much more variable than, than somewhere. Honestly, it's, it's kind of the way I could have treated both Wisconsin and Iowa, like I did Missouri. Like I didn't even include Southern Missouri or Southwest Missouri or the Delta in Missouri because they, they function very differently. They're primarily timber. It's primarily timberland um, or the Delta in Southeast, the boot heel of Missouri uh, ground sells very differently. At some point we'll do a Delta report, I'm sure. Cause that's, you know, we're, we're here in Arkansas. Yep. So that's, uh, you know, uh, close to home for us. But, um, I think, you know, I could have done that probably in Ohio and Wisconsin, but, uh, particularly Wisconsin made a lot of sense. You know, you could kind of see that pattern. I think you see the influence in Ohio of those metropolitan areas, particularly, I think it's Northeast Ohio, uh, where you can see there's some farmland sales up there, but they're definitely within this realm of influence um, of higher populated areas. Absolutely. So with, uh, do you have any, and I, I know you hate these questions because they're <laughs> do you have any bold predictions for the next two or three years now looking at the last three years with, with so much intensity? Yeah, I mean, I, I can give high level gut stuff like uh, what, what I feel pretty strongly in is based on our data and the other data you see out there, you know, farmland will continue to appreciate. I think the market fundamentals, um, you know, you can't ever time the market. So what I don't like is when you're like, OK, in two years, where are we going to be? Yeah, <laughs> that's no, when I'm, I'm going to bow two, out. <laughs> but, but, yeah, like I, I think over time, what you're going to see is is that long term trend uh, continues to, to improve. Uh, and there, there are some really good economic, you know, fundamental economic reasons for that. Um, one, we all know that farmland, you, you can't make it, right? Like there, there's a limited amount of farmland. The supply is very limited. In fact, it's decreasing because of some of these metropolitan areas. Um, likewise, on the demand side, uh, we have more people that need to eat. They need uh, food, feed, and fiber has to increase. And so just the the, the fundamental economics are that demand is going up, supply is uh, at best staying where it's at or decreasing. Uh, so you're going to see farm balance sheet stuff, interest rates, those are definitely affecting farmers. They're definitely affecting investors. 
uh, in the short short term. Um, but I think over time, you're always you know, we're we're going to continue to see that steady. Uh, we like to call it kind of the boring trajectory, right? It's yeah. it's a steady but continuous increase in appreciation in farmland values. Um, so I would expect that to continue. Uh, you know, the conservative like national uh, national appreciation number. Uh, that I've heard is is that six percent is like very conservative. We're going to continue to see that in the long term trends, if not more. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's uh, that's as bold as I'll be. That's fair. I mean, I think uh, you know that's that's fair. It's always fun to ask because there's not too many people that look at land data as much as you, right? <laughs> so yeah, so we want to try to shake you a little bit and see if we can sure, anything, sure. Uh, anything there. But no, I think that's really fair, and I um, I think that data shows that to some to some degree and also do you think looking back at this report and let's say 10 or 20 years are we going to look back at this three-year period and think wow there there was some significant things going on during during this time period because in the to frame that i want to say it was probably 2022 i had a a a mortgage lender on here and i said are we in the golden age of interest rates he's like absolutely (laughs) and and that turns out to be true and so not maybe to that degree or extreme but is there anything that you, as you look 20 years in the future and then pull this report out of your desk, you're like, wow, that was a pretty significant time because of X, Y, Z. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, that uh, that's exactly the point that I would make too. I mean, interest rates um, have risen faster this year than at any time in history. Um, and if you look back at federal funds rates for the past 30 years, um, there are a couple times, you know, you had the dot-com bubble at the turn of 2000, and then you have the financial, you know, the housing crisis in 08. Um, we saw, you know, interest rates rise very rapidly in both of those events. Um, but this was even faster than those uh, in how fast the, the rates went up. So, and, and not only that, they were incredibly low last year to the point where it really bolstered a lot of purchasing. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, when money's kind of effectively like free, yeah. <laughs> people are going to buy more. And so uh, I certainly think that we will look on this as a volatile time uh, this past two or three years. Plus, we're, we're riding coming off of COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's, there, there are a lot of things these past few years that have probably uh, set the market up to be a bit more volatile. Um, and so, yeah, volatile period. Uh, but I think, again, it's more like if the trend's like this, and typically you're going to see maybe a little volatility, maybe this time it's like a bit more jagged, but mm-hmm. it's still going up. Yeah. And I think that's how I would explain it. Okay. That, that's a, that's a great explanation. And I, I couldn't agree more with that. And it's uh, it'll be fun just to look back in the, in, cause it, it is so fun. And, and I get in trouble cause I, I look at all these different charts of exactly what you're talking about. And then I think people tend to get overexcited about certain headlines or certain things. And then you just zoom out and be like, okay, that giant issue, quote unquote, was this little blip right here on this chart, you know, 20 yeah. years ago and whether right. it was good or bad. So uh, and to your point, this farmland being extremely stable and boring, but boring can be excellent for a lot of That's different right. people. That's right. So any, anything else you can uh, think of here, Aaron? I, I really appreciate your time. And I, I strongly, strongly encourage everyone to go check out this full report and read it. And uh, if you if people want to send you ideas, where should they send those? Yeah, you can. Uh, if you just email us at support at acres.com. Uh, that's great. And, and honestly, like particularly for the report, I'll, I'm happy to give my email for folks to respond directly to. It's Aaron, A-A-R-O-N uh, dot shoe, S-H-E-W at acres.com. I'd be happy to answer questions or, or take feedback. So 
Um, yeah, really glad to be on the show. Really enjoyed ch- talking talking through the report with you. Excited for it to be out there in the wild and, and look forward to, to continue to improve it uh, and, and what we include in it in the future. So uh, thanks again for having us today and, and look forward to, to carrying forward. Absolutely. And as you guys release more reports, we'll just have to get you on here and, and we can do a deep dive. Yeah, sounds great. Look forward to it. All right. Thanks, Jake. There you guys have it. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Be sure to download the report if you hadn't done so already and go check out Acres. It is a great, great tool for anyone that is serious about learning more about land. So many great tools and insights on the platform. So be sure to check that out. Until next time, see ya. Hope you guys have an excellent week. 